What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Life in Commune. Thank you so much for tuning in from wherever you are. Before we begin this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, hit us with a rating. It really helps us spread the vibe, supports the podcast coming out on a regular basis. With that being said, in this week's episode, we are going to talk about methods of practice, methods of movement, and all things that kind of relate to Carlinized journey in the yoga practice. So let's begin now. beautiful intro did you like it i did like it yeah well if you're watching this on video you missed it so check it out on spotify apple or anybody else while you really yeah i was trying to just, just love in my eyes every once in a while those looks come out and i'm just <laughs> like hey they're still there you know <laughs> they're still part of the vibe it's good to know um we had a big event happen to us this week so we might as well address it we watched tenant and I feel, I feel like that's a big event. I was a little <laughs> panicked for a second. I was like, oh, God, what are we talking about? Where are we going with this? I thought Mo and Harvey fell down the stairs. No. Uh, <laughs> why would you shame her? She, she biffed it. She no. biffed it bad. She's wearing the... the um, big old scrape on her nose. Big old scrape on her nose. But it looks cute. It's a vibe. <laughs> but bigger event than Harvey falling over because, again, that was a very short period of time. Whereas Tenant, long movie, plus lots of other videos to watch to even understand what the heck you watched and do you want to build up the climactic the most climactic part of us watching the show oh i thought for a second you were going to give a big spoiler no no like, spoilers. let's not go no there spoilers, quite no. yet i don't even know if you could spoil it to be honest with you i think it's i truly think it's a phenomenal movie if you get the chance you should definitely watch it you need two and a half hours so just throwing it out there maybe even an hour after to digest it you know, just to just kind of like try yes. to comprehend and then an hour plus of watching YouTube videos uh-huh. that just explain it. And, and maybe an hour before to make sure you are 100% sober of all substances because otherwise it's going to be hard to process. You, you, need a, you need a good focus. It's almost like you'd want to watch it within the first like an hour or two after just waking up. <laughs> You know what Just I mean? start your day on the right note with a two and a half hour sci-fi banger. Yeah. Nothing like that to make you productive or take you down a YouTube rabbit hole for the rest of your day. So yeah, so it's one of those things if you like have some time. <laughs> if you don't have kids, you might watch this first thing in the morning <laughs> or a job. Yeah, but if you... Um you know, you can have a job with just with flexible hours. <laughs> you know, maybe Touché. not show up at night. Touche, my friend. Um, but you know, if you're starting it at 9 p.m. at night, and then during the most climactic scene of the movie, the power goes out in the building because a building next door to you gets caught on fire. fire. Yeah, this is basically what happens without a spoiler. Slightly alert, traumatic. They're slightly traumatic. Just experience. like any movie that is a sort of heist sci-fi time travel movie, um, there's bound to be explosions, right? And so there is a countdown explosion moment moment in this movie and somehow we are watching this at 11 30 p.m in our tv room it's dark we are engrossed and exactly the time the counter is about to hit one let's just say the most climactic the most climactic moment our power booms like a loud boom and just goes dark and we live in the middle of the city so it's like loud the whole building goes down and patrick and i are just in stunned silence like then we hear a bunch of sirens yeah. And then we look at our window and there's a people bunch on of the sirens sidewalk and people on the up. sidewalk. And I was like, oh, well. I mean, I was. Let's go a, outside and see what happens. A little mind fucked because it kind of just, I was so immersed in the movie. It was like, oh, the thing happened. The world's over. Like this moment. <laughs> wow, that this... was a little dark. No, but I mean, like, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just in it and it felt so weird. It was very creepy. Yeah. So if you've seen it and you can think about that most climactic moment and then just think about the power, the power going, out, going out. 
and then sirens outside and then like the smell of smoke kind of wafting into your apartment. (laughs) That was our experience. Great movie though. Definitely recommend watching it. We will not do any sort of breakdown podcast on it because A, that's been done brilliantly by plenty of people on YouTube and B, it would take many more times watching it, probably 10 to fully... I don't think I have anything academic to add to the <laughs> masterpiece of this movie, me as a casual consumer. But it I was loved it. great and I really, really I it. liked it. I yeah. thought it was stellar. Highly, highly recommend. Pop um, culture, not of the week. Pop culture, not of the week. But yeah, you know, something something to consider. A few of you messaged me about watching Animal Kingdom, so respect to that. And... Uh, a few people were like, have you guys seen Peaky Blinders? Of course we've seen Peaky Blinders. Yeah, yeah. I love Peaky Blinders. Original Peaky Blinders. It, what do you mean original? Like first couple seasons? First couple seasons I thought it was when it was really peaky. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Peaking, peak, Where, peaky. Whereas, whereas I feel as Animal Kingdom has progressively gotten better, I feel like Peaky Blinders starts probably a bit better. I agree with that. Um, but then kind of after that it it's doesn't. It's tough to maintain it's momentum. It's tough to maintain. And keep yeah. your whole cast alive in the world of <laughs> uh, in the world of that. crime drama yes. yes so true story multiple Respect. seasons in a row okay yeah. that feels like a good pretty good you feel good you feel warm pop culture roundup yeah. for the week I'm, trying I'm to think if it. I have any other good ones no that's no. kind of where I'm at yeah Respect. Uh, We want to talk a little bit this week about methods of practice. And one of the reasons we want to talk about that is because, well, we kind of have a method that we practice, Mm -hmm. but we've also evolved over time through many different methods of practice and many different forms of practice. And so we just kind of want to talk about some of those things and acknowledge different methods and different things you you could consider as a yoga student, a yoga practitioner, and really trying to find opportunities to align your intention with your action, Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's in reference to what we do um, or in reference to something completely different. Because uh, I talk about this all the time, but I really, truly do believe that when you find the yoga practice that's right for you, it changes your life. And maybe, hopefully, that's with what we're doing, but potentially it's not. And that's obviously just fine as well. It's really just about... um, kind of getting clear with what you're seeking and then finding a practice that serves it. Yeah, I think there's, we talk a lot about being in alignment in the yoga world, but also in kind of like the new age spirituality world a little bit, this idea of being in alignment. Uh, And I think that that shows up a lot when you come to something like the yoga practice and just being in alignment with what your aims are and what your intentions are. Because I think we've done an entire episode like in years past about finding the practice that works for you and about Mm -hmm. how once you find that, it can change your life. But it sometimes takes a little detective work to figure out what that is or trial and error, you know, to dip a toe into different methods and see what's serving you at specific seasons in your life. Because for you and I, I know that different methods have served us at different times in our life, at different phases in our bodies, um, in our minds, in our spirituality, things that spoke to us and that worked. Because some things will might work forever, but it's also not necessarily a fair expectation to assume that your being will be the same and you may not have to adjust accordingly and, and start to explore other things that might help you where you're at. I also think it's really important with yoga specifically to acknowledge methods because there are so many methods. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're coming from a workout or a gym culture, while there are many, many methods of training, if you go into a gym and you see a treadmill and you see an elliptical machine and you see a bench press, some dumbbells, some kettlebells and some weights, you're like, oh, I'm just going to kind of use some of these things, right? And that's kind of like maybe your first foray into working out unless you're working with a personal trainer or something like that. And so often people compare working out and yoga. Mm -hmm. And so 
I guess one of the main aims of this episode is is to kind of distinguish the a little bit of the difference there in the thought process, right? Because so often in working out, you start working out, and then if you get really into it, you move towards a method of working out. Mm-hmm. When you start in yoga, you most likely start in a method of yoga. Whether you know it or whether not. Whether you know it or not. And then you're evolving into something yeah. else. And that's why I thought this was a really interesting thing to discuss. Because uh, so often you could be like, oh, like I'm doing yoga, mm-hmm. you know? And but you, we've talked about this before yeah. too, or you say this often, is saying I do yoga is, is akin to saying I like sports. Yep. I play sports. Or like I like food. Yeah. And it's like cool what kind of food what kind of sport what kind of movement what kind of food is speaking to you right now what kind of food is speaking in your mind right now chocolate yeah yeah chocolate we have these chocolate caramels in the kitchen at the office that i just i really just buy them for me i eat one a day here like in between (laughs) things like in between classes i'm like "Mm, seems like time for a caramel it's your moment yeah yeah i kind of look forward to it anyways i digress um Yoga is like that in that it's this vast, wide practice. And often when people step into what is usually an asana class, right, they probably don't have a a big scope for what the world of yoga or like big yoga with a capital Y really entails. Or methods. But I mean within that, like Mm -hmm. not only are there many different facets to yoga, but across that there's lineages, there's methods, there's approaches, there's philosophies. And I think at least in a, let's call it a more modern, like 2000s perspective, many people are showing up to yoga from an asana perspective and they're showing up to a generalized asana class, which maybe or maybe doesn't have a lot of like outward push of what the method or what the, the lineage behind it is. So you don't necessarily know. And I think that leads to sometimes you end up, you stumble upon something that's like, yeah, this is for me. Other times, I think it can be confusing for people. I see this a lot in prenatal where people come to a prenatal class and they say, yeah, my provider told me I should start doing yoga in my pregnancy. And maybe they show up to prenatal class or maybe they like look down the street, there's a a hot yoga studio and they're like, cool, I'm here for yoga. My doctor said go to yoga. And that's not the right method for that season in in life, right? So I think that... uh, it's, it's worth exploring how many different options and not programs, but like paths there are along the way so you can figure out what works for you. I also think one of the things that's really interesting because as you were talking about, like, let's say mid to or like mid 2000s, like 2007 or so mm-hmm. on is kind of what you're ref- referring to. If you are like a yogi that started in the, I guess, 80s or 90s, to probably about 2005 mm-hmm. or so, you actually did start in a very specific method, and that method was Bikram. Yeah, which or, is which or, is a method. I think that you're. I think that largely, I just think you're in the big school. Bikram. Yeah. Ashtanga. Yes. Maybe a dedicated Iyengar studio. Yeah. Or a more let's call it open-ended thing like Vini Yoga things yeah. like that. But that it's those big ones, like the big yeah. five, I would say for most places, at least in the States, yeah. um, that people kind of dive into. Like Bikram is definitely the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not even popular, but just easily, well easily accessible, mm-hmm. right? If you're in the earlier, if you're starting a Shtanga, like, well, hey man, you still got to get up at 6 a.m. That means not as many people are starting in a Shtanga unless that's just what works for them yeah. or they you know, started with a book. I think Bikram is probably the best example. Yeah, it's, it's just funny because things have generalized so much more, mm-hmm. I guess was the point I was oh, like, yeah. really leaning towards is like as power yoga systems rose up, 
more in terms of mainstream popularity and movement interest. Uh, it really generalized the practice quite a bit more because there were so many spin-offs from that. And, and that's where you really got started to see way more studios coming yes. up. Yes. Right? Which is just really interesting. Yeah. Um, so as you've talked about previously, like your first kind of intro into a method was Bikram. Mm -hmm. um, and then you moved in towards power yoga. Baptiste. Baptiste, which is, which is power yoga. Yeah. Like through and through, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what was interesting to you about that method at that time? Well, I think Bikram originally appealed to me because it just wasn't what was available. Yeah. I was more, just a, more Baptiste, more okay. power, just because I think that's more when you were actually studying yoga as opposed to yes. when you were doing Bikram. I think you were more just sweating. I was just a broke college student. Al alcohol, and, yes. Uh, so well, say. no, not necessarily, although also not. Not, um, <laughs> but Bikram was just all that I knew that what I'm just trying to keep it honest. I, with the I mean, that's that's fair. Um, Bikram was just what was available, and it was approachable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You you show up, you can there, you're standing the whole time. You can see yourself do this. There's people in front of you doing it. It's static. There's time to figure it out. There's time to adjust. It's hot. You're sweating. There's that not only physical, but like neurological feedback of like, this was hard. Mm -hmm. I am tired. I'm also dehydrated, but I'm tired, right? Even the instructions before Bikram class on any website, any studio is like, drink a gallon of water throughout the day. And you know, so it make it prepares you for this intense experience, which I think uh, many people are looking to something like hot yoga for an intense like input on their system. Um, so it was alluring to me in that way. But showing up and getting integrated into the world of power yoga was something that made me actually feel like, I mean, maybe it made me feel like I was part of something, like a, a, a larger timeline, speaking yeah. of tenet, but you know, a, a bigger system, a bigger method that was more alluring to me. Mm -hmm. Whereas Bikram, I find to be very satisfying in the moment, but looking at it from a bird's eye view, it kind of eventually feels like, what next? The only, I have like three big memories from Bikram classes. I've probably taken eight. So let's, <laughs> let's not act like there's that many to, to choose from. But I have three big memories from these classes. So one uh, was the first time I practiced, and I've told the story up thousand times. Uh, just to, to reha rehash it here, there's a lot of strict rules in Bikram. I showed up two minutes late. I had to push to even let them let me in. I was like 18 years old. And uh, in front of me, uh, within the first five minutes of class, some dude's balls drop out of his shorts. You I just don't want to tell story much. I was not prepared. I started cracking up. I was laughing, you know, till still laughing, still still in my mind right now. I'm laughing about this <laughs> moment in my life, because he j you hold the poses for a minute, you know, and my dude just let it let it happen. He was integrated into the method. He, he was, was not in. breaking the pose breaking until the pose. instructor claps in and says break. Yeah. So I got kicked out of class, you know, in that moment because I just whatever I couldn't handle it. And not, you know, for some at your ripe old age and maturity of eighteen, <laughs> I, I couldn't handle it now. So let's <laughs> let's not act like that much is different. Um, and then the other one was a few years later uh, with me and my dad. And my dad was taking a fair amount of yoga classes with my mom because my mom was pretty into uh, the Bikram. Kim was pretty. Kim, Kim, was, Kim, is, Kim is a regimented, regimented. person, yeah, yeah. and she was very. Regimented. She was just she was just doing it. You know, yeah. she was really in her in her zone there. Um, and so my dad was going a bit too, and we would go together sometimes. And there was this, my dad is, is a funny guy, but he he would uh, 
make up names for these characters, these people that he'd never really talked to. <laughs> or maybe he did talk to a bunch, but just really not when I was there. And he would call this one guy uh, Chief because he was like just this like kind of like wobbly, like really fun-loving white dude. It's just like, you know, he's kind of like five, he was like five five, like bigger. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just a bigger, bigger, shorter guy. Front row. Fr- back row. Oh, back row. He was a back row guy, uh, and he would. He, this guy would be like really loud before class. And he was a life coach. He'd just be like chatting up everybody in the room, and then like you know, three poses into the class, just on his back. I was just gonna <laughs> yeah. say, is he down? Yeah. He's down and with so, a towel over his eyes. So big Jim would, would just go down, goes chief. <laughs> I'm laughing also oh because anyone who has spent a lot of time on the mat in a studio knows that there's there's there's, there's always there's some chiefs person in the studio. Yeah, there's, there's chiefs everywhere. That's so that's so it, a person. Honestly, a, that's kind of my dad sometimes. Like, yeah. do you remember when my dad came to our workshop in Boise years he ago? Laid down. My dad practiced in the back of the studio. I think he maybe did five minutes of sun salutations, one crow pose, and then laid down in the back of the <laughs> studio for an entire like Patrick and I workshop. And afterwards, he was like, God, Carling, that was so great. Yeah. I'm like, what your nap? <laughs> Nap, your dude. nap was great. And now, now we're here at dinner. I was yeah, like, all right, But that's good. just, you know, that's what my dad wants out of the practice. Yeah, respect. <laughs> yeah, I'm not knocking chief at all. I just remember the moment. I just, it's just so, it's one of those things that's so ingrained in my mm-hmm. mind. And the third one, obviously, is when uh, we were teaching in Vienna and our friend Sabine, um, who's an awesome teacher and an awesome person, uh, she owned the studio there and she, we took her Bikram class in German and it was very hardcore oh <laughs> because Bikram in German is a different experience. And if you've never had that experience and you have the opportunity to, I would recommend it. I think it, it was, it was fun. If you it think was just, Bikram is militant in, in English, English yeah. it is in, in German. You're like, yes, yeah. I will. I will not break the pose. I will straighten the leg. <laughs> I, it just it just was a different experience and mm-hmm. it, but it, it really reminded me of methods and you know we were um we were you know awakening yoga had been out for a bit at that mm-hmm. point and we'd been you know starting to run some trainings with it and stuff and so Sabine and I actually talked a lot about methods during that time and so it was really interesting to me um you know I think that's also probably why that moment really sticks mm-hmm. out in my mind because you're just like oh like the methods matter in yoga a lot and they're really a part of the practice and I think so often nowadays nowadays is such a weird thing to say <laughs> we but, are that makes but, me feel very old to say but, well nowadays. I think I think that with a lot of um a lot of keyword based yoga concepts whether that's videos or instagram posts everything needs a label now oh I which see is kind saying. of what yes. I'm trying to say which is funny because it's very much the opposite of what you're aiming to move towards in in many yoga disciplines if you mm-hmm. will is like trying to move away from label Labels and, and, and yet to. yeah and yet everything uh so many things that you see is very label based mm-hmm. um which is really interesting because some of those labels are like debatably the most absurd concept ever uh and one of the more more common ones you'd see it'd be like detoxifying yoga flow mm-hmm. yeah Weight loss yoga flow. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, they're just really absurd concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, spoiler alert, if you don't know this, like, you probably heard this cue because I've heard this cue a, a thousand times. When you twist in chair pose or in lunge, 
you are not wringing out your organs. If you did that, you would die. God, it just makes my blood boil. <laughs> Honestly, I'm you the worst. And those of you who are, have done teacher training with us or with me, you've seen my <laughs> rants and lectures where it's like, that's just not how it works. Like there's motility. You can move things around. Yeah. You can adjust. We can, it, like It's not a towel. It's not a wash rag. We're not like, you know when you're detoxing? If you have a liver. Yeah. Are if you sweating? Are you sweating? Yeah. There's a detox. Like, I just, are you going to the bathroom? You are you detoxing. Are detoxing. Um, I think it's hard because there is this constant, because there's so much information around things now. I think, I don't want to say a lack of trust in the process, but people really want to know what to expect, right? There's so much, like, I, I, I'm a similar way. But I noticed that even with the classes in Commune Online and the things, you know, there's this, we're always trying to craft this, kind of mimic of an in-studio experience where you go to class with a teacher that you like and you're there for what they are offering you within the method that you've agreed upon within yes. the container the structure of the studio or the teacher's discipline lineage whatever like you go you know you go to a teacher who has a background in x y and z you're going to get some of that in their class but the rest is kind of you know the experience the teacher is crafting for you and so in the online world we people still want that like what's this class about what are we doing today? Can you tell me what happened? It's like the the tags on YouTube where it's like at minute two thirty we talk about this. Yeah. At minute fourteen twelve we talk about this, and I, I know, understand the impulse, but it's such a push and pull between like, well, no, I still want you to just show up for class with CJ and like you appreciate CJ's teaching and you're there for, along for the ride for the experience and you drop the attachment to needing to know every single piece of what's happening because yeah. you trust the container of the method, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's a fine line between me understanding that impulse to want that and control and knowing that you have a finite amount of time to practice and so you want to try to get the experience you're looking for out of it but while also trusting the container of the system that you're practicing within or yeah. the teacher no I, I completely agree with you I think it's so interesting to consider that when you go to a class in person when the door closes, you're relatively contained in that space. Of course you can leave, right? Of course. <laughs> relatively contained. You know, but you've made the commitment to show up. You're there. Your mat's down. Mm -hmm. You've started. You're there. Mm -hmm. um, when you're at home, like, you have to create that container. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard. And, you know, sometimes you don't have a lot to do in a day and sometimes you do. And so reaching your desired outcome for a practice is something that um, that I think we all seek in some capacity, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. And yet learning to lean into what the teacher is offering that day and, and learning to understand it is actually where more growth can happen mm -hmm. more than the short-term growth that you're looking for, which is really interesting. Yeah. I, I, I mean... Part of it, I think, is leaning on the idea of a method or a container or even just a really solid understanding of who you're learning from, where mm -hmm. their background comes from so that you have expectation, but also trust and freedom within that to kind of move through the practice in a way that works, right? Because Well, I also think another thing with that, just even in the online space versus the in-person space, is when like one of us teaches online, we're practicing too. And so you're leaning into a double perspective of yourself mm -hmm. as opposed to when you're teaching people, you're coming from your perspective plus who's in front of you, hopefully. 
Well, and do you know what I mean? Like that, that's very different. More so, like who's la- who, the layer of who's in front of you often takes over whatever perspective you had when you started class, you Hopefully. know, or when, before you showed up for class. Whereas here, when it's yourself, you have a really great understanding of you know what what you think you want to craft for the class versus what you have the capacity to do yourself in that amount of time. All mm-hmm. those things play into it. Um, it's interesting because even you know. If we talk about our backgrounds, like you can probably feel the power vinyasa background probably more in my teaching than in yours, I would say. Yes. Yeah, like your teaching of the last six, seven years, would you say, has less and less power vinyasa explicit, like tones to it, overt tones. Yes. Whereas certainly you can still feel it in some respects and in some classes. Um, but I'd say mine, just even the the structure of awakening yoga plus power yoga plus smart flow is kind of where you can, you can feel that in. That's where you live. What's, what do you always say? Your body is your autobiography. Yeah. And I kind of think like my body of work is also the same that you can feel that in my classes. Most likely if you have an awareness of the methods, Mm -hmm. if not, you're just like, Oh, that's how Garling teaches, which is cool too. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, you know, the time spent in power yoga and in Baptiste yoga, for me was a great way to stoke a lot of curiosity about the practice to like first fan that flame. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Vikram was got me committed to doing yoga, to the practice of yoga and to buying into how it was going to impact my life on a holistic scale. Whereas the asana side of power yoga got me to dive in and see like the potentiality of how this practice could grow, why I could do this for the next 30 years. Whereas Vikram, I quite like, but the method for me, it's hard to think about doing that every single day for the next 30 years. Whereas in a, a more wide open path of asana, it's really easy to say, I have all these foundations, this groundwork, and like, look at all these places it can go. I know I can stay engaged and have the, the balance of it in that kind of um, method. That's what I think is really interesting, even as I consider my own journey in this conversation. Uh, the first method that I really appreciated was ashtanga. Mm. And... I am horrendous at it. It's not necessarily for you. Yeah. uh, (laughs) And we all end up where we do because of who we are. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really important to acknowledge that. Um, And so I I just remember when I was doing Ashtanga every morning, uh, like my knees hurting all day long and just like, the general soreness of it and the general prereqs, the general, pre- yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But, but again, my, the soreness in my body due to the lack of natural predisposition mm-hmm. for that practice. Um, and yet because I could do, um, jump throughs and pickups, it I was like, you know, capable of like kind of going through it in some capacity. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was just interesting and it really was one of my first forays into understanding and, um, and diving deeper into the framework of different methods of practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I moved on from Ashtanga, but it was really hard for me to, um, to understand the framework of power yoga as much because it, was so simple in many ways. What do you mean? Um, you do a lot of lunge poses and a lot of vinyasas. In Ashtanga or in, in oh, in power. In power. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. Not again. I'm, these are all observations. I always feel like I want to frame this anytime I'm talking about oh, some I of don't this think stuff. It's a critical. I think yeah, 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 yeah. 
I just always want that to be on the table. So what did um, you understand from the power yoga perspective versus No, like no, it's, I, it was hard for me to identify a method uh, as much. Like with it. Ashtanga, you're like, there's a method to this and you're there in a room with other people who are part of this method and they're really into this method. And, and there's somewhere also in Ashtanga And it's room. early in the morning. Yeah, they're obviously dedicated and you can see people all at different stages along the path yes. in one room in a Mysore, yes. which is different in a generalized vinyasa class where maybe you see that it's more outliers but i'd say the middle of the bell curve is a lot bigger in a general vinyasa class versus a mysore classroom yeah like like what i remember from power yoga was the energy and like loving the energy of it in the popular classes and and things being like really jamming mm -hmm. and really positive i guess like the community the community side of it but again we were so young for the community but just like yeah. the energy of it um was so inspiring in a lot of ways and, and interesting and, and fun um and Ashtanga was just like so such a counter to that, right? Well, it's so it's so much more introspective and almost a bit solemn in like the energy in a Mysore room. Do yeah, I mean it's just so much breath and focus. Mm -hmm. There's no like power yoga is chatty. Yeah, it is, and um, in a lot of ways. And so it was it was so interesting to pair that, and then you go into again like I obviously have. Um, you know, spent time doing smart flow as well. And so you're pairing like those three, mm -hmm. you know, kind of things together, like the intention of any system, the, you know, method of Ashtanga and kind of like the raw energy. And, and I don't know, it's almost like, like, let's just do it kind of vibe of yeah, power. Yeah, a little bit of just, just do it. Uh, you yeah. know, it's a bit a bit of that Nike energy. Well, there's um, a little, like, raw, raw behind yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Behind it. Uh, and so it, it was interesting to kind of, like, begin to compare those things and then, you know, diversifying study into all the different areas that we now explore mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, Awakening Yoga kind of fits into those things. Mm -hmm. is, um, it's, it's cool to see, that, like, I... Again, I'm studying a few different methods now or like trying to study them. One of them, which I, I won't speak gonna... <laughs> to. The only reason I won't is because it is the hardest thing to study. Like they intentionally make it hard There's to study. So, they like don't want you to do they it. They don't want you to do it and they do want you to do it at the same time. And it's, 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 it's very... It's like the most intense game of hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> so like I, uh, I know I, I do it out on our balcony a lot and... Uh, People probably like look at me like I'm a crazy person. Like the people next door were having a little party, and I'm like, you know, on their deck or whatever, and I'm just on the other side of this wall. And <laughs> a few people like peek over to kind of see what I'm doing. I'm just like, dude, I don't guy know. Guy with hair down he, to his waist. He, <laughs> and I'm here doing pseudo tai chi on a Friday evening. <laughs> it's a vibe, dude. It's totally a vibe. But it's it's learning, and it's it's, it's super interesting to me to like. Um, to try to consider the method and consider how people teach their method because I think um, whether you like what we do or not, whoever you are, and honestly, I hope you love it. I really thoroughly <laughs> believe in it with my whole heart. But um, the way we teach our method is very thorough. Yes. You know what I mean? And then I study other methods and it's like the opposite of that or it's like ambiguous to a degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, almost purposefully ambiguous. Almost, there's definitely, Maybe not even almost, actually. Yeah, purposefully ambiguous in, in many ways. And it's it's just interesting to see how so many people are trying to get to the same place from different angles. Well, I think that method... This, everyone has a different purpose to some degree mm -hmm. behind their method, their practice. And it's interesting from a historical perspective, too. Like, 
whether or not certain aspects of practice or teachers or lineages or schools of yoga were really trying to, like for lack of a better term, market to the masses, right? You have a teacher like Chris Macharya who was really trying to bring students in and do this style of yoga, this more heavily like aerobic asana based style. And then you also have other styles where it's like, I don't care if I have students. Yeah. I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I don't, but like there, there are other styles where it's like, look, you either do it or you don't. Yeah. Whatever. You like it? Cool. You don't? Cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, it's, there is, there's obviously historical precedent for it, but it's also still really apparent today. There is just some things that there's such a movement for yoga for everybody, yoga for everybody, those kinds of things. But there's also a lot of styles and methods that like could give two shits if everybody can do it. Uh, I think it's most. Not, uh, I think most uh, methods yes, are like that, and and even when people say like all levels of practice can take this, which by the way, the, it's the, not true. It's it's not true actually. Um, uh, I don't want. I don't. She she's definitely a student of ours. A student of ours named uh, Raina um, was wrote something about this. Yeah, uh, Raina uh, talked uh, about and it, and I thought it was I thought it was awesome because she was just essentially saying like let's stop labeling things as like for all levels when like it's clearly not yes and I thought that was such a wonderful point because um because it's true you Mm -hmm. know what I mean like while we aim for awakening yoga to be an approachable style for as many people as possible saying it is for everybody is is just not true it's just not true um but nothing is for everybody not, like not one thing in this world besides air and water and some form of nutrition is, yeah. is, is and sleeping is for everybody. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> naps, naps yeah, are for everybody. Yeah, but uh, but I, I think it's so Im- important to acknowledge that a little bit with mm-hmm. with yoga and with a method of anything because like uh, a method is a path towards a specific destination. It's a way you're choosing to do something. And some of that choice is your own and some of that choice is the way you entered this world or the way you currently exist in this world. And that's that's part of it. Mm-hmm. And so owning that really begins to open the door to where you can go next and to what you can do and to how you want to find joy in your experience. Uh, one of the favorite things, so in our teacher training, one of the first assignments, and it's a very open-ended assignment in air quotes here, is just kind of the conversation about quintessential alignment. Like, what does alignment mean to you? Where do you come from? What's your frame of reference when it comes to alignment? And not necessarily just talking about alignment, but I love reading students' answers because they often dive into their frame of reference in terms of what lineage, what method they've been exposed to before, whether it's just awakening yoga or they're coming from somewhere else to awakening yoga, which often we see students that have come from other backgrounds and then end up in awakening. Uh, and it's very interesting to just see the wide swath, swath, yeah, swath of why not? Sure, yeah, swath of um, of experience and methods that people are a part of. You know, a, a, there's such a diversity to it, not just in the awakening system, but in general. I think it's easy to wherever you live, wherever your demographics are, what you're exposed to, to think that there's only a few ways. Like there's only these few methods. Like we talked about those kind of big five, like Bikram, Iyengar, Ashtanga, Vini Yoga, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, to think that there's just those, but there's so many, and a lot of them diverged based on geographics too, like where a teacher landed, they happened to open a studio, then they got a student base, then they trained teachers, and now all of a sudden Boston is a Baptist power yoga hub. Do you know what I mean? Or like now all of a sudden this is this style, and somewhere else in the world no one's ever even heard of that. It's very interesting to see how that percolates later into teaching and how things 
grow or don't or how they're approachable or accessible or not. Yeah, I, I love the location-based practices. I was As you were uh, talking about that, I was trying to think of, I wonder what the big five are now. Or if that even Ooh, is I'd a even thing. put like in the early two thousands. Let's let's put Anusara in there before John Friend imploded. Like that's a that was a that was a big one. Like remember yeah. at that point, this isn't super. Let's call it I don't know commercialized yoga, but like when the Wanderlust Festival in Tahoe was basically John Friend Fest. It was like yeah. the Anusara tent, the this, the that, the Universal Print, like everything was, and then all of a sudden everything wasn't. Yeah, but that was a big one for a long time too. That they just ebb and flow. I wonder what they are now. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, I think it's, I don't know if it is well, as there's much. There's so much general now. That's there's what so I mean. much vinyasa, mm-hmm. which I think contributes sometimes to the confusion or the, the never ending conversation about what is yoga? What is asana? What is this? What kind of teacher are you really? All that kind of stuff is that there's just so many more people doing it and so many people putting their own spin on it and so many ways to proliferate that out into the world that I, I think it contributes to a lot of confusion or maybe just open-endedness about what what is without a lot of like um, historical context. Yeah, I agree. I, I also think it's it's interesting to see how certain practice styles, I don't want to say like move in and out of focus, mm-hmm. but that's had just how natural that is. Like mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason, um, this week I've seen like three or four different people from like completely different walks of life talk about how like pink used to be the manly color um, for dressing. Oh, like, really? yeah, like 50 or 60 years ago. And uh, and now with marketing, like that's completely changed, but it used to be pink and then Cameron tried to bring it back, but he was unsuccessful. Was he unsuccessful? Because I people have an autographed we- Cameron book. People were wearing pink tall tees and I bet, yes, I I bet agree. you were probably like looking at boys with pink tall tees. I wasn't like, hey, mad about up? it at all. Not even a little <laughs> bit. I mean, there's lots of, yeah, there's lots of pink J's and good ways to coordinate that. I mean, my brother has a Cameron pillow on his couch in the pink furry hat, the king and the neck, like, so... Let's be honest, pink didn't go anywhere for some of us. Dipset, dipset, dipset. <laughs> and we're back. Um, <laughs> I do, I think it's like everything, right? It goes in and out of favor. You can see that in any area. Like right now, I'm weirdly obsessed with like interior design and those kinds of things. And you can see the same stuff. I look at, I see, you can see trends now that, you know, are from the 80s. Like right now, there's so much of the, or I feel like it's phasing out a little bit, but like the pastelis. And that's such a thing that I remember growing up, we had a couch that was like white with almost like the watercolor swatches of pastel pink and teal. And that feels so distinctly like 80s. And now all of a sudden that's, that's cool. Yeah. Whereas when I think of it, I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. I wasn't sure that was the best choice. But yeah. But, but here we are. I mean, look at Urban Outfitters. We got Fila and a Tommy Hilfiger and all sorts of terrible things I, from I our childhood that should I... not be back. <laughs> like, not even a little bit. Tiny sunglasses. Dude, like... speaks for yourself. I was a 90s baby. I don't know oh, half of these things you're talking about. Stop. Just saying. I Just heard the to... term this week that I never... This is... Uh, technically, this doesn't encompass me. I think I'm over the threshold. But... Not only not only elder millennial, but geriatric millennial. It's now people from 1980 to 1985. Really? Yes, a geriatric millennial, which is like, cool, man. Thanks for that. <laughs> That's like if you get pregnant over 35, they're like, oh, it's a geriatric pregnancy. Like, is <laughs> it, man? Like, wow, wow, cool, thanks. Just creating life here, but yeah, geriatrics. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that wild? That's just intense. Yeah. 
I don't know how I got there, but. <laughs> but here we are. Um, so when you think of a method for the practice or identifying a method or even identifying an inspiration for a method, this question is getting broad quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, what are things that currently interest you? So outside of what we do. Wait, say it again. Like when you're thinking about a method of practice, what things currently interest you? question is now more simple. Outside of what we currently do. What? So like what, what types of things would you look for? What, 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 is, what types of practices align with like what you, where you're at currently? So, so like for an example, there was a period of time where you pretended that you were very aligned with this restorative <laughs> yin-esque pillar of practice where you'd be like, uh, wake up, you'd post weird memes like wake up, does yoga, child's pose you know what i'm saying like you'd be really into some you know i know this exact when, period when, of time and i will practice hard you always have you i like always, hard practice like, you i like, like to do active practice I you do. like challenge i will add one caveat that i know the exact period of time this was look at this and i lived in portland you were traveling six to eight weeks at a time i was by myself at Most home with the cats we had an entire room in our rental house dedicated to yoga practice, and I had a lot of hours in the day because I was t- just teaching yoga and living in a city with not that many new friends yet. So I did have a lot of different kinds of practices where I was I'm just not rolling saying, around. I'm not saying you did. All I'm saying is in that moment, I also taught some restorative and yin yoga plans for Aloe Moves or for Cody at the time. So I feel like all of a sudden I adapted this restorative, not persona, but like method in my public teaching persona that then I was also doing personally, but I was doing it in addition to a strong practice because I had a lot of hours in the day. Yeah. And so it, I think that I, uh, I was probably talking more about the restorative side of things, but I was also doing the challenges. You were just more like end. meme, meme talking about I this. I also too. just like, like memes in general. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a big fan. <laughs> like it's kind of my sense of humor. And I feel like you can really find your people via memes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like your, your common sense of humor. And so I find it to be a good mode of communication. Um, and also memes about napping and being lazy and stuff usually include cats and sloths. That is also true. I'm a fan of as well. That is also true. So I think they all tie in together that yes. We're really going full circle on that. Yeah. You've really learned about me during that period of my, <laughs> my life. Still here. I remember you were looking back through some of those things not that long ago and you're like, I still think this is funny. I still think they're funny. You're did right. you repost a bunch of them? I did. I, I looked, I found my old Tumblr account uh, from... Freshsheets.tumblr.com oh still God. exists. I hope there's nothing totally offensive on there, but yeah, that is, the, it still exists. And I there's scrolled... Something, you don't ever post anything. I know, but I don't offensive. know. I don't know what's in there from 2012. I don't know. All I remember is the my favorite meme from that time, which was... Uh, hipster Daenerys with, with someone uh, photoshopped glasses onto her and, <laughs> and she was talking about like uh, human babies, basic, dragon, dragon babies <laughs> on trend. I have, I mean, when I went through that old Tumblr, I, I feel like I had so many good Tumblr threads, you know, when people would comment on, comment on, comment on, and the jokes would just get funnier and funnier because people are, you know, internet witty funny, which I appreciate. And I reposted a bunch of my stories, I don't know, a couple months ago. And I was like, these still hold up. There's, I think I might have talked about this. There's one where there's a, a little otter swimming underwater and he's carrying like a, a tube or some sort of plastic thing that maybe he found. And one of the comments was like, he's swimming, taking it to otter space. 
<laughs> I still think it's funny. Like, it's still. Where do you think he's going? To outer space. Oh my I still goodness. think it holds up. Some other good ones. I have a, a bazillion Bob's Burgers memes. I mean, I used to literally, my Instagram, if you scroll way back, I can't believe that as many people follow me on Instagram as they do based on the heavy meme content that it used to, a Bob's Burgers post every once a week at least. You've kind of went off that show too, which is interesting. I love Bob's Burgers, but you know, it's one of those shows that you can only watch an episode or two at a time before the humor just becomes the same. Yeah. Like you have to watch it sporadically. That is true. You watch too many and it's like, okay. Yeah. Kind of blends. It kind of blends. Yeah. It loses its potency. Yeah. It's like Broad City. You can watch a couple and it's hilarious. You watch one too many and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I think Broad City is, you really need to have spent some time in New York. To really, it also helps to, to be a millennial female yeah. to some degree. But but even even on top of that, like they have a lot of New York jokes, True. and if you haven't been to New York, it's just it's a little it's bit hard land. to fully land. It's the same as like uh, British humor shows if you haven't spent some time in London. Or the new Save by the Bell, which I'm a little embarrassed to in this moment admit if you've lived in california watched, it's funny but the new saved by the bell where zach morris is the governor of california yeah um is he the governor of california yeah and um is funnier if you're familiar with la yes right the jokes you, they make about getting around about where things are cool or popular or where you know the rich people live and that kind of stuff it's way it's going to be relevant and funny to you if you've spent time in la yeah otherwise you, it's you, probably over your head which is or also just okay or just like it's not funny yeah it doesn't make any sense um you, you did, it's kind of sound like you had an affinity for Tumblr there for a minute. Do you wish Tumblr I, made a comeback? I, I do. Is that the social network you miss the most? Yeah, I love Tumblr. Well, Tumblr, I feel, has, maybe I'm just an elder millennial and I don't know the... A the, geriatric millennial? I am not that. I am 1987, so I am technically not that. And Whatever since you're, you're 1997, you're definitely not 92. That. 92, that's not, okay. Let's not stretch okay. it. 92. Okay. Just to clarify. Yeah. So I'm not sure if maybe TikTok fills this void to some degree, but there's not the depth. I feel like Tumblr, Tumblr was this growth from like Blogspot or LiveJournal where people still had, there was some intimacy to it. Do you know what I mean? Like there was some writing, there was some almost blogging that kind of went with it. But it also was like you could find anything, both good and bad. Like, I mean, in college... This got heavy quick, but I part of how I learned to have the intense eating disorder that I did during college was I learned from girls in my sorority, and I learned from Tumblr. It was very easy to find that content. But on the other end of the spectrum, there's adorable otter memes and great fashion accounts. So it's like you could kind of get everything. And slick yoga pages. And slick yoga pages. You could kind of get everything, and that's what I loved about Tumblr is it was like a, a big experience of it all before it got distilled down to like just photos, just this, and like the Pinterest, Instagram, everything, where everything is just shorter and shorter and shorter and less and less yeah. intimacy. It's what's frustrating now about social media to some degree is like, it's like the shorter it is, the more valuable it is to some degree. And that's why this exactly ties back into our conversation about methods, because <laughs> methods take time. We are full circle. We are full circle. <laughs> no, it's, it's, but it's really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Like as yoga has expanded, which I think is wonderful um, because more people are practicing, it's also simplified in many mm -hmm. ways. And that's why there's so many derivatives of power yoga, yes. which you most likely practice or experience as vinyasa. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of those styles, the method of them is very simple, and so it's a bit easier to digest uh, for somebody that's a bit newer, and that's often why people start there. Mm -hmm. um, 
But as you can begin to dive more into the practice, you can dive more into a method of things and begin to understand the method, understand how the pieces play together and understand why the pieces play together or if there even is a why behind it. And um, it, it really creates a not only a depth to your personal practice experience, but to the your actual understanding of what the creators were intending with the effort. Which is in a generalized vinyasa power yoga thing, there may or may not be a greater pathway of it. Yeah. Maybe there is, you know, depending on where it's at or, or where you're at in your practice, but there may not be, which is kind of that same, like, the quick path, the shorter, the thing that, you know, even though there's much I don't love about the physicality of the Ashtanga practice um, and about many of the founders of, of the Ashtanga practice, I do think there is something to the... Um, the overall journey of it, yeah, right to the progression that exists within it. You know what? There's, I think, there's a lot of problems within that, but I think the overall idea provides purpose on your path of why am I doing asana? Yeah, and even same, same, but different in something like Bikram, you know, there's it's almost the the opposite. You just do it because you just do it. Maybe there isn't something next. Too bad, so sad. Show up and do it again yeah. tomorrow. Show up and do it again tomorrow, and that's has, I don't know, they have like similar but different aims that I think at least provide boundaries like a container for your practice yeah. or for your journey. And then if you're an awakening yogi, there's like a, a secret menu, if you will. <laughs> like the more you practice, the more you know like the secret other little moments where you just add things in mm -hmm. that are part of the practice, but you know, not, not in the picture manual per se <laughs> not on the pdf yeah not on the pdf but you know what i mean like that's yeah that's kind of like what's baked into our practice is mm -hmm. like there's all these other little pieces mm -hmm. that are there but you got to kind of know them yeah. you gotta you gotta, gotta kind of know you know how to how to go to the counter and order that item on the menu and it, it takes a little bit of time to kind of finesse mm -hmm. your way through it yes um but then you begin to see, the more you're within it, the more you begin to see how all those things really play into everything else. I mean, I see that often in, I mean, not just awakening, but in any practice, you know, people start something and it's like, well, this was hard and I couldn't do it. I just tried and I couldn't do it. This was hard. And it's like, yeah, man, Did, oh, you're not supposed to be able to do it the, necessarily the first time. It's, like, it's got to be something. It's part, that's part yeah. of the journey. Like if you could do everything the first time, if it was immediately gratifying and attainable, then why would you keep doing it? Dude, if everybody woke up and was like, you know what? I think I'm going to shoot threes like Steph Curry and they could just snap their fingers and do that. Um, I think this is one of the, the, the like everybody would because yeah. why not? He's the best shooter of all time. Uh, and I think this is one of the things that's like so brutal about, uh, and I grew up reading comics and loving comics mm -hmm. and loving this form of pop culture, but th the mainstream movie and just like normalization of this random kid, male, female, person, whatever, just all of a sudden getting superpowers overnight and then dethroning somebody that had worked their entire <laughs> life on something <laughs> within the matter of hours on in 90 minutes on, you know, in the movie, but, you know, days in terms of the life of the show is, has really normalized this thought process of like, oh, hey, like, I'll just be able to do that just I'll because. Just be good at this. Yeah, just, just because, because yeah. mm -hmm. I want to. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, if you want to, and you try regularly <laughs> with a high amount of effort, consistency, and good technique, then yeah. But yes, 
this idea that we just get to jump to the end of the path. Yeah, exactly. It, it, like, yo, congrats. Like, you have superpowers now. Yeah, great. Okay, you know what? You teach this class because yeah. you're already here. Yeah. Uh, I do think it's an interesting, I, you look at something like the Ashtanga practice where there's very clearly like, you know, there's the fourth series and there's not very many people who do that series and there's this weird like classism to it or I don't know, like hierarchy. But at the same time, it's like you can't just jump in and do that because that's not the way the system is designed. You know, it's not necessarily supposed to be like that. There's this, I think there's a balance between like that is inspirational aspirational and that is demoralizing do you know what i mean like some some things are yeah completely there's some things that are too much and you look at it and you're like well i'm never gonna be able to do that so screw this and there's other things that you look at and you're like okay well that's interesting i might as well at least keep showing up and see what happens mm-hmm. um which is i think a little harder to do when everything is generalized creative flow stuff where it's like i don't know where this is going to go because it's going to be entirely different every single time i show up um, which is kind of the, there's a lot of, oh, what if someone called it the other day, um, like post-lineage yoga, which is yeah. a lot of kind of where I think much of the generalized stuff is. It's like, doesn't necessarily have a lineage or a method. It's just asana for asana's sake, which in and of itself, I guess maybe has a, has a purpose. Is asana? Is asana. I, I might have talked myself into a, a, a hole there. No, I don't think you talked yourself into a hole. I think you're just recognizing certain things that exist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, part of so part of the process of things. What kind of methods and then I think we gotta wrap um because we're almost we've been chatting about this for a long time. Um what kind of methods do you find yourself drawn to right now? Because I didn't really answer my question besides drop into a rabbit hole of Tumblr and and pseudo restorative, but what about you? What would you consider the methods that I'm interested in being? Because you know the big two. Well the big there's two there's two ones that I that I definitely study. Well, you do study, but I was just thinking more general, unless you'd like to name drop, in which case, do your thing. Yeah. But you like almost anything obscure. and anything and everything that is exploratory and obscure. Yes. Like, you are the, I don't want to say this, but I do want to say this. It's a little bit I'm of, a really long Google search. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're page five, and also a little bit of, like, the yoga hipster attitude of, like, you found an indie band before it was cool. Like, the specialness of, like, yeah, yeah, I heard of them. Like, yeah, I've been listening to them for years. Yeah, I have that vinyl. Um, like, uh, I, uh, and I don't mean that in a no, facetious I think, way because you also have a beard and a top knot right now. <laughs> so there's things that play into that. But um, you do. You like obscure. You're almost – I you reject mainstream oftentimes, aside from maybe sports and some pop culture things, but, like, you often reject a mainstream discipline kind of on purpose. Um, Maybe not even knowingly on purpose, but like you're not attracted to it. You're automatically, I tried to show you a video yesterday, last night on Instagram. And I said, did you see this thing I reposted on my story? It was (laughs) hilarious. I laughed for 10 minutes. And you said, yeah, I saw it, but I saw three other people post it. So I scrolled right past it. I did. I was just like, like, just because multiple people shared it, you were like, nah, can't be good. It's like, could it be good because like multiple people shared it because it was good? I'm sure. I I didn't didn't ever doubt that it was good. No, but your instinct is exactly that, which is I think indicative of what what you gravitate towards to in a, from a, a method standpoint too. Is so I, I, I guess when we're talking about yoga, um, I think that s- some of the more obscure methods that I'm interested in are there. There's a purity to the offering and there's a complexity to learning it. And I'm interested in the complexity of mm-hmm. learning it. And that is really intriguing to me. Um, and it's not the 
like elusiveness of it or like, oh, I'm I'm doing this because nobody else is doing it. It's more those methods are less available because they're not as easy to learn. And so I actually enjoy the challenge of trying to learn them. Deciphering it. Yeah, trying to decipher it a bit. I think it's, yeah. I find it to be so interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, um, whereas certain other methods that you may practice that are a bit more normal, I mean, I've been around a little bit, right? And so... Uh, I can make, oh, like I get the gist. Mm-hmm. I get the aim of this. Yeah. I see what's and, happening here. I'm either interested I, or I'm not. Yeah. And even if I'm like, I'm interested, I, like, I think it's a good practice. Like yeah. I think, I think there's a plenty of great practices out there, like mm-hmm. a plethora of them. Um, but the ones that I'm interested in learning about are a bit more, like it takes a lot more to learn them. And, um, yeah, you're up for the challenge. I'm up for the challenge of it. And, uh, I, I also think that's part of the reason, you know, even circling this back as we conclude the episode, uh, it's what we were talking about in the very beginning. I think this is why, like, I love tenant, right? Like, I think for some people you'd be like, I don't know what the fuck I just watched. Uh, I hate this movie. Or I I don't know what it was and I'm just going to leave it be. And it's over. Like, and I've, I've probably consumed like three hours of post movie content just around different theories and ideas about the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so interesting that really the way you want, the way you choose to view the movie creates the narrative of the movie. And that's so interesting for something that was so precisely planned and is two and a half hours long, could have probably been four. And yet, um, and yet you can really, even within that, like, decide how you want the story to be mm-hmm. you know what I mean because like it's it's there's such a a like depth to the complexity it's not just complicated for complicated sake yes. or it's not just elusive for elusiveness sake like it's it's actually just it's there for you to consume and for you to make of it what you will and there's something so cool about that to me mm-hmm. And tell you, there you go. Boom. Close it off. Close it off. Uh, I don't have anything to close it off with. I, I just think that that's, I think all of those things are true. I think that finding the method that attracts you will keep you propelled on your course. That's a great close. And I think that you also have to be open to change along the way, mm-hmm. which is why it's nice there's so many, because a method will work until it doesn't work. Yeah. something else will work until it doesn't. Or maybe some things work great in conjunction with each other. But it's, it's important to both be open-minded to a method and also have a critical eye to how it exists in your body. Because just because a method works for someone else or just because everyone does it does not mean that it's going to take you where you are looking to go on your journey. Yeah. And you may find a method that works for you and that brings you what you need the first time out or the second time out and you can just live in that space where the practice Mm -hmm. is bringing you balance, bringing you joy, bringing you a sense of self and a sense of freedom and that's wonderful. So um, again, be a explorer of your own human experience and enjoy the journey. (laughs) 